Welcome to another conversation with My Future Skills, the podcast where we talk with interesting people about what skills we have and what skills we need to have to be present in the future. In this episode, I talk to Antonia Lomer. She likes to put herself in new and uncomfortable situations, just as she did with being a guest on this podcast. She studied chemistry at the university, basically just because she really wanted to play with chemicals in a lab and was very curious how food was made and what we were actually eating. Today, she's enabling innovation in a fun and impactful way and making the innovation process as easy as riding a bike, just as she liked as a kid. Curiosity, empathy, and perseverance guide her on that path towards innovation, problem solving, and building new solutions for the old problems. We take, in this episode, definitions apart. We inspect them very carefully and detailed, and sometimes we put them back together, not always. We take the buzzword out of innovation, we look at all the small steps on the way, and we put ourselves in the center of the process. I hope you enjoy the conversation just as much as I did. Here's Antonia on innovation. Give us a bit of a background of yourself. If people ask you on a party, what do you spend your time with? What do you answer them? Okay, so it's a very interesting way to actually ask for someone's background and Thank you for that. Um, well, first of all, um, I would say that all my life kind of circles around the same things. I'm very curious. And when I find something that I'm passionate about, I'm really perseverant. So I've managed to find innovation, problem solving uh, in my life a lot. This is kind of the trend. And now I'm pursuing that. Um, I actually have been through several um, jobs. Uh, I've been through several professional areas, uh, touching on multiple industries like uh, telecom, fast moving consumer goods, uh, IT. Um, actually, it's been, you know, I would say quite complex, but in a way, this is what kind of keeps me moving. And um, I do like where I am right now, and this is kind of what I'm interested in. How things happen, why things happen, um, how can we do more innovation, what triggers motivation uh, for doing that, and um, how can we get more people excited about doing things and about realizing that all of us, in essence, are doing a bit and a piece of innovation in our personal lives. So it's a mix. <laughs> <laughs> I love that mix. Would you say, because on a first look, all the industries that you just named don't have really thing, anything in common. They might be related in one way or another, but like we started off and where you are now, these industries have not much overlap. Would you say, and if so, what is it? There is a threat that kept you going into these industries and kept you looking towards jobs in these industries? Yeah, so um, I have this like weird understanding and I have like this, um, this thing inside me. Um, whenever things get uncomfortable for me or whenever 
I'm in a situation where I don't know anything about. I'm like all in. I will jump all in because I know at the end of it, I'm going to learn something. I'm going to be able to grow. So this is kind of the challenge. Whenever um, I get really comfortable with something, I feel like, you know, I'm really uh, okay with doing this. Um, I maxed out on learning about this or, you know, I feel like really, really comfortable. I'll be like, okay, I need to try something new, get myself outside of that comfort zone so that I can, uh, you know, grow a little bit. <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. So really looking for that next growing opportunity. Yes, exactly. And I have this like really clear association that my brain does that whenever things are, you know, as I mentioned, uncomfortable, when, you know, I'm in a situation when I have very little details, uh, very little information about it, um, I know for sure that's going to be awesome. I'm either going to learn something, I'm either going to meet really interesting people. Um, it's going to be an amazing, an amazing experience. And I wouldn't say no <laughs> to something like that. That is very interesting how you, you ended up in the, in the field that you are working in now, which is innovation, building in a way, finding innovation, defining innovation and making it happen. Um, it is a lot dealing with the unknown. We don't know mm -hmm. what innovation is now or in the future. Um, yeah, exactly. And the, the, everyone has a different definition for innovation. Everyone has a different understanding of innovation, <laughs> depending, again, on the industry, depending on their background, on, on their experience, um, on their, you know, life in general. And I think that's one of the, the flavors of it because it's never something very clear. You cannot put your finger on it and say, this is innovation. It usually depends on the context. Uh, it depends on what you're doing, how you are doing it and all that, that uh, type of interaction. So it, again, I think it's, it's a mix. It's not just technology. It's not just people. It's a different amount of technology and people every time. So it's not <laughs> a recipe. It's not a perfect, uh, you know, template that you can use and can apply to something and say, ah, this is innovative or this is going to be innovation. It's about taking risks, you know, exploring the unknown, <laughs> testing, seeing if it works or not. And in the end, you might end up with something very different <laughs> that you, than you initially wanted to build maybe so you basically just gave us your definition of innovation um how you approach it um but then again you also said it is highly individual and i totally agree this innovation is not made in a box so you can't standardize what it really is right exactly um, would you say there are some things that you see as crucial, like without having discussed that, we don't even have to refer mm -hmm. to the baselines that you say, those are important anyway, no matter how you define innovation. I think there is a set of, maybe call them skills, although 
I think that's a very strong word <laughs> for this. Um, but I think there are certain characteristics maybe uh, that can lead to uh, to innovation. There's there's definitely curiosity because you know if you just stay in your in your field of area in your comfort zone, then you're not going to explore more. You're not going to find out you know what are the other possibilities. So curiosity is something that you know I think is uh, really critical. And then um, I think a high amount of risk uh, comes uh, comes within because. You know, I might be very curious. I might be sitting, you know, imagine this, like you're sitting on the edge of a lake, you know, you're cu curious to enter the lake, but you won't do it because the water is too cold or it looks too dirty or, you know, things like that. However, the people who enter the lake, they have a really awesome experience. They get to swim, they get to see fish, they get to... I don't know, um, experience the, the warm or the cold water, whatever <laughs> anyone likes. Um, but I think you need that those uh, that good amount of risk, you know. And um, and the other thing is this kind of problem-solving mindset. So because, again, you can bring innovative solutions. And I'll give an example. This is something I did in um in the university i think it was my my last year i had um i had a very interesting uh, course and um we were we were supposed to bring projects uh, at the end of the course and uh, we were supposed to think of a new method to to apply i think it was polymeric uh, substances and it was supposed to be innovative in a way, right? So we were not supposed to copy any scientific research. We were supposed to come with an idea of our own. And I was, you know, kind of on a stretch deadline. I didn't have the, the time to, to prepare because I didn't prioritize that project that much. So I ended up with a very um, good idea, but it was an innovative idea, but it was useless. And my idea basically was to uh, take like those simple um, paper cups and apl apply like uh, a very thin uh, layer of gold on them. So this would provide basically um, impermeable. Yeah, it would make the cup more impermeable. However, who would pay the money for it? That was something I did not ask myself at that point because, you know, I was like, oh, my project is done. I have something to present and that's it. But the teacher, he was like, you know, this is a very interesting use. This is very new and innovative, but is it useful? Mm -hmm. Who would pay for this, you know? And he got, you know, he got me thinking about it and that one question that I try to ask myself every time I come up with something new, you know, is this useful? Because it can be innovative, but if it's not useful, then <laughs> it's the end goal of it. Right. And I find that interesting because that, that, that there's not a direct correlation between being innovative and being useful as a solution. 
Because a lot of the stuff that we hear when people talk about innovation and what is an innovation, what do we call in innovative, is sometimes I have a feeling it has to come more from marketing term than a real useful thing that brings us as humankind forward. Um, and also sometimes I have the idea the things that really bring us forward that are useful large scale aren't really necessarily something we would call innovative exactly i mean there's so much on the market there are so many products so many different types of services but not all of them bring that certain amount of value to to the people and uh you know i connected again the dots in in that sense um because recently i heard um uh, Jonah Berger uh, talking about, because he's like a marketing guru, uh, talking about this uh, in a recent conference. And he was saying, you know, whatever message you want to deliver to people, whatever, you know, what you're trying to sell to them in the end, <laughs> think about how you can make it as easy as possible for them to see the value of what you're trying to sell to them. Mm -hmm. So again, going back to, to the value, because this is really important. You can, you know, create anything <laughs> nowadays. You have all the resources, all the means, all the technology, and, you know, basically everything that you can imagine or not. But is it going to be useful? Is it going to be, bring add a value um, added on long term? On, maybe you need it on short term, but what's the value? So innovation with purpose, I think that's the, <laughs> that, the key. I, I totally agree that value and the purpose is very important. Um, what I wondered then is who defines that? Who defines what values? Who defines that? And again, what is useful and what is innovation? Um, who talks about it? Who has the the majority of the conversations and what do that majority, what does that majority say and, and want to make us believe sometimes? Cause as I said, innovation, it has to cut the marketing term and marketing is mostly making yep. people believe that whatever you sell, they need. Um, so maybe a, um, provocative question, how much innovation do we need? I, I think it might be less <laughs> than we actually are trying to do because right now innovation is, is such a buzzword. Everybody is using it again with their own understanding. Maybe they have their own definition, uh, but even in the, in the business environment, right? Everybody is uh, associating so much innovation with uh, automation, for example. So again, you know, it's a vicious circle there because uh, companies understand they need to do automation. Uh, so they're trying to bring automation, but without asking, okay, why do we need automation? What value is the automation going to bring to, to us as an organization, as a business, uh, on long term and so on. So I think that's kind of the gap that's on the market right now 
uh, because, you know, everybody is using innovation as a buzzword. They're trying to to get a lot of awareness around it, which is really good. Uh, you know, I'm really happy to hear so many people talking about it and become interest about, interested about it. However, I feel and I see that there are so many uh, that use innovation as a means um, to get automation within the company. However, without uh, a clear goal in mind, without a clear strategy. So just to maybe check the box, uh, just to make sure that, you know, we are on trend. Uh, just to make sure, uh, you know, we have this so we can attract uh, new talent <laughs> to the company. <laughs> so I, the question is, I think here, how do do we make sure that people know how to distinguish between, you know, just doing innovation for the sake of doing innovation and then doing the innovation that's useful for them? Because may maybe you don't need that much innovation. <laughs> True. And you just said an interesting thing where are you really doing innovation or are you just running behind a trend? So yeah. what would you say is the distinction between innovation and trends? Um, well, I think the distinguish here would be, uh, uh, first of all, to understand very well your baseline to understand where you are maybe you're already doing some sort of innovation but you're not able to uh, grasp on it you're not able to actually see it again because most people correlate innovation with technology like you know elon musk is doing innovation <laughs> the rest of us aren't only if you do something similar with what uh, Elon Musk is doing with Tesla, then you can say that you are doing innovation. And the other thing here would be, you know, and I, I did this actually recently uh, at the, this conference, uh, Brand Minds in Romania. I asked people that I met, met randomly. So, you know, if I was sitting near to someone or, uh, you know, if I would encounter someone new, I was asked them, what is the latest innovative thing that you did in your personal life? And I'm doing, and I'm doing this for a while. And it's funny because I see people's reaction and they're like, you know, they're like poker face. They're like, it's like their brain just jammed. <laughs> they're like, what innovation in my personal life? <laughs> they, they cannot believe it. You know, it's like. They cannot even begin to imagine that they're doing something innovative in their life. And then I start giving them examples and I say, you know, maybe you improved something in, in, in your schedule or in the way that you are doing things at home or cleaning or, you know, repairing stuff or whatever it is. And then they start, you know, <laughs> ah, okay, so... Oh, yes, I did that. Or, ah, yes, you know, last summer or during COVID or, you know, I start doing this. And I see most of them refer to personal innovation as something they did with their own hands. It's usually something really manual. They've built that they never did before. This is mm -hmm. kind of the trend that I see when uh, they give me examples. 
And it's very interesting. And usually men uh, immediately are able to refer uh, to renovating either a room, either, you know, um, another space in the house or, you know, a house uh, entirely or, you know, something like that. But it's, it's very manual. It's something that you kind of, you know, you build with your, with your hand. You have to use your hand. You don't use technology a lot. <laughs> right. That's so interesting because like the renovation business isn't really known for driving innovation. Exactly. But when it comes to the personal life, when you, when you distinguish your private and your personal, uh, your, your private and personal life from your professional life, then suddenly what you're doing, well, basically since you're on that earth using your hands and creating something with your hands, that becomes the innovation. Exactly. And that is really interesting from the sample point from what we see being called innovation in the workplace, which is mostly in today's world, stuff that you make up with your mind. You don't necessarily have to do anything with your hands other than maybe you're typing the code, but that is the only manual thing in there. Most of it is how you connect ideas, how do you connect the knowledge of the programming language that you write in. Exactly. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so, I got two, two questions about that. First of all, the question is excellent. <laughs> I think it shows how exactly what you said earlier, the point how innovation has become this buzzword and everybody has an idea about the buzzword in the professional world. Mm. How do you fill that word innovation with life? How, how do you make it a passion? rather than a buzzword. And that's where most people stumble across their own roadblocks in their head. Um, so, so the first question will be, why do you think it is so hard for people to, to make that connection to their personal life? I think, you know, it's very hard to think of yourself as an innovative person uh, because of what has been um, marketed as, you know, innovative people. So, you know, if someone, um, and, and I think about myself, right? Um, I live in a country in Romania uh, for so many years. This is very, very far away from the States. Uh, usually a lot of innovative people are, you know, marketed from that space. So if someone would ask me, for example, if I'm an innovative person, I would immediately confirm myself, you know, with those kinds of personalities. So mm -hmm. because of, they are very far away, there's, you know, nothing in proximity <laughs> to myself. I would feel like, oh, I'm so far away from that. You know, I'm not an innovative person by far. Um, so I think, you know, that's kind of the mindset where most people are, because in comparison, with someone else that is already considered to be innovative or doing innovation or enabling innovation, you might feel like you're very, very far away from that. And I think the, the interesting thing with this question is that I don't necessarily ask people to compare themselves with someone else. I'm actually asking them to find something innovative in their own life. So I'm bringing proximity of innovation 
to them. So I think the perspective is very different and, you know, it, it's something that maybe they, they haven't done before because proximity, proximity matters. And maybe we weren't taught to look at every little thing that we're doing and to see, you know, that. Maybe it's something that improved our lives. Maybe it's something uh, we did better. And yes, we can call that innovation. We've always been, you know, kind of guided <laughs> to look at really huge transformations, really huge uh, discoveries and developments uh, as truly innovative. But I, I have a different opinion. You know, I feel like if I manage to improve even my, my routine, just a little bit, that's something that I, I did in an innovative way, even if it's just for myself, right? So maybe I have a different dose of innovative mindset or innovative thinking than someone else, but it's there and I recognize it. I think that that's the trick to first recognize that innovation within yourself or within your your own way of thinking, your own way of working and organizing, and then try to scale it. <laughs> but again, small step, you know, start with your own proximity. Right. I want that thus with the question you approach the persons with is you're not assuming they did something big that they can call innovation. One way or another, they did something innovative and and you just have with you. Um, and that in itself is really interesting assumption to think everybody is innovative. Everybody has that spoke. You just have to figure out what that is and what. Well, let me, let me ask my second questions before uh, finishing that sentence. How would you say? Given the assumption that everybody has something innovative in themselves, uh, inherently innovative in themselves, how would you figure that out? Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the million dollar question. Right <laughs> so one, one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to do right now is ask questions like this. So starting with uh, the small things that we are already doing and not necessarily uh, labeling innovation as something per se, because as I mentioned, we're going to tend to compare everything that we do with that big definition of innovation, which, you know, might seem very far away and very complicated and something that we won't be able to achieve. So that's, you know, that's kind of two, two things. So I, I would definitely move away from what is currently marketed as innovation and have a, a different approach in terms of, okay, what did you do today <laughs> that can qualify as, you know, even a small improvement? So I would avoid in general giving a very strict definition. To, to innovation. That's definitely one of the things. And I would challenge people to not compare with themselves, uh, not compare with others, but compare with themselves. 
you know, if, if you manage to improve yourself a bit every day, every week, every month, year on year, then there's definitely something that you did there that could be innovative, even if it's for yourself. But imagine if you can take that and scale it wherever, you know, it might be relevant. But yeah, I think it's about kind of doing this introspection <laughs> rather than uh, doing this analysis externally. You know, we don't necessarily include ourselves usually when we talk about innovation or when we, uh, when we even do exercises to trigger, um, you know, brainstorming and creativity and, and so on. We kind of leave ourselves aside. It's like, you know, we're building innovation in a circle, but we're not part of that circle. <laughs> we're outside of the circle. And I think we need to put ourselves inside the circle. Metaphorically. <laughs> no, I totally understand that. And, and it is interesting what you just said with innovation is even if it, if you have it on a small scale, it's the improvement of something of yourself, of your surrounding of whatever, but still we're always looking at it from the outside looking mm -hmm. into a system that we want to improve without us putting ourselves in it. Um, which for me raises the question, why don't we want to expose ourselves to it? Why don't we want to be part of that system? Why do we always talk about innovation as those bystanders? I think it's human nature, right? I mean, even putting yourself into a system, it means that you're going to expose yourself and we're not comfortable with that. And then we get back to being comfortable. <laughs> so, you know, putting ourselves out there, that's definitely a challenge for, for us as humans in general, I think. Um, it, it's not easy to do it. And especially if you don't have the habit of doing that often in your life, I think it becomes harder and harder as you, as you grow, um, because, you know, wh when we're like very little and we start exploring things and, you know, our parents or our environment or, you know, whatever the context is for us allows us to do that, then, you know, we're going to create that habit. However, if we don't create that habit, um, I think it's, you know, we have maybe a higher chance of creating that habit easily when we're adults, we already have experience, you know, we already tried something and we failed and we don't like to fail. <laughs> so we create a different habit and in order to create this new one, we would have to replace something. So again, getting outside of our comfort zone, <laughs> getting uncomfortable and changing something about ourselves. And, and th there's like one thing, and I remember so many people saying this, um, so many speakers, um, when you change something about yourself or when you, you realize you need to change something about yourself, it's like admitting something is wrong with you, mm -hmm. which I don't necessarily agree to, but I understand the mindset behind. I understand, you know, kind of, 
how we function as, as people, as humans. But I, I would really, really love to change this <laughs> kind of way of seeing things. Because I, I feel like, you know, if you change something about yourself, it's not necessarily recognizing that there's something wrong there, but rather that you can do something better for yourself. So I think there's two faces of seeing this, but we're like inclined to see the, the negative one, because again, this is how we're constructed. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would really love to change that. It is an interesting point that you're making and, and it goes or it proves a lot of assumptions that we make about other people. That what you just said, that change is a bad thing because if you change, suddenly I can't tell who you are anymore. Um, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. We should change our perceptions about the boxes rather than judging somebody for changing and improving. Um, but it isn't necessarily a common thing that we as a society are doing. We're very much thinking in those boxes that are very strict and please don't change them because otherwise we don't know what to do with you anymore. Exactly. Um, and so the reprimanding the people who want to change and who want to put themselves out there. Do you think there's anything we can do to change the perception of change? I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually working on it. And um, I think it's, uh, it's a huge effort. I mean, it's, it's a work that will take years and years. <laughs> because it is the thing that when you talk to, or if you look outside our bubble, a lot of people are actually fearing change. They're mm -hmm. so changeless because they think they will lose something and they think they can't keep track with the development. Um, and just because of the human nature, humans in general are changeables. Um, we did find ways to come around that because we're not sitting in caves anymore, right? So we obviously <laughs> have gone through some stages of change which have not disrupted humankind in a very profound way. Um, well, of course, it just did disrupt people, but not in that conscious way. Mm -hmm. And if you... and you will always have people who will be against change, but the number of people that are against change. And if you look around right now, what's happening in the world, we're actively turning the clocks back. Yeah. What we've already achieved on a change level. We're actively turning the clocks back to go back to another point in time that has been 50, 60, 70 years ago, at least. So obviously we've reached that point where the majority of people don't want to go further. And I think a lot of that has to do with that inflationary use of the word innovation, because mm -hmm. that makes it seem like change is happening overnight and every night. 
So every morning when people wake up, they have to look, okay, what changed last night and what do I have to adjust to today? And I have a feeling that a lot of people are tired of that or fed up of that because they can't keep track of that. Um, When in fact, I believe it's not necessarily the, the change of verse feeling that's keeping people from following up with what's going on. But it is a lot the the correlation we set, if it is right or not, because that's also a question correlation causation, but the correlation we set up between change and innovation mm-hmm. is something that makes the majority of people fed up of change, which might be necessary. Yeah, and it's also the pace, right? Because as you mentioned, innovation or, you know, change doesn't necessarily happen overnight, but sometimes um, we forget to to tell people that, you know, we're so focused on what happened that we forget that, ah, there's like 50 years worth of research behind. There's like, you know, 60 years worth of uh, work effort there that we're overlooking. We're just focused on the end result and, you know, we're so focused to celebrate and to use it and to share it with the people that we're, we're forgetting about that. And it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen with the efforts of just one person. There were so many contributors along the way. There were so many people that came with, um, you know, a fragment of that idea or a bit or a piece of that technology. Or, you know, an idea of that mindset, but, you know, sometimes they're overlooked and they're like behind the scenes. <laughs> right. And it, it's a shame because I think that's what kind of leads to the um, nowadays understanding of the innovation. You know, we think like, ah, oh, that person had that awesome idea and overnight <laughs> they were wow. able to, you know, and you make can And you can actually mm-hmm. make but, the case to say is innovation really a point or a thing that happens by one person and we tend to have these heroes journey stories that we all know and we all want to say Richard Branson or Elon Musk or Steve Jobs um changed the world by the way all men that I just named because those are the big hero stories that we tell um but the question is did Steve Jobs really put the first computer together Probably not, especially not when scaling the whole thing. Like he is exactly, and when he was alive, he wasn't putting every computer out there that Apple ever built. Um, same with Elon Musk. Did he ever construct a whole car by himself? Um, all of these stories, we tend to make them hero stories. And I do agree that the, the ideation part is very crucial too. But without the support of other people who really make it happen and who can support that idea and who can carry that idea, the best idea is kind of worthless. Exactly. So so how can we make the picture bigger and how can we include? And maybe that's just when I talk about it, that's also maybe why those people at the conference had such a hard time explaining what they do in their personal life for innovation because they don't see themselves as part of the story. Mm-hmm. That exactly. Out. 
Um, so how can we make it a story for everybody? How can we tell the stories of the little contributions to innovation? I think, I think it's also about uh, timing because, you know, you mentioned something really important. Steve Jobs, right? Elon Musk, they weren't the first people to do whatever they are doing, right? However, when they did it, everybody else was ready for that piece of innovation. Right. So maybe there's like 50, 100, 1000 people trying out the same idea. They're doing it over a period of, I don't know, 50, 20, 30 years. However, when the time is right, <laughs> one of them will succeed because maybe he also has, um, you know, the lessons learned from his, uh, his predecessors. Um, maybe the market is ready now because they've seen so many prototypes of that idea or that concept or uh, that service, whatever it is. And now they're comfortable with it. They're comfortable with that concept coming. They, they see it as, you know, they don't see it as something, uh, unusual anymore. They know a little bit of it, uh, about, you know, how it started what what it's supposed to do and so on so i think it, it's a it's a whole mix of things but timing is also important al along the way right and of course people are part of that story when you get them involved right when you when you test with them uh when you communicate a lot about what you're trying to do uh when you get their input right but I think right now there's um there's a very clear separation. It's like, you know, you cannot do innovation if you're not in a certain way. Um, not everybody can do innovation. You know, you have to you have to have certain uh certain criteria to check <laughs> in order to to get to a certain level of innovation. Interesting, especially because we're talking so much about inclusion right now, um, mm -hmm. about how everybody should contribute to something. But then we're making it this, this exclusionary thing by redefining the words, not necessarily excluding people actively, like you can't play it in our sandbox. But if you want to play in our sandbox, this is how we set the rules up. And if people yeah. then decide they don't want to play in our sandbox, we say they're not ready for, in that case, innovation. It is an interest. It's again, like how languages, how words, how how we use words makes or breaks a thing. And I really hope, you know, we get to see more women in this field because um, I feel like there is a gender gap, uh, which, you know, initially I didn't necessarily see, it didn't necessarily bother me. 
Um, but I'm starting to kind of feel it uh, around me. Um, and I feel like, you know, there, there are a couple of misconceptions about who can make innovation and who can actually talk about innovation. So um, I think, yeah, we need to kind of get another lens down. <laughs> another definitely, that is definitely a point because also, even if they, there were many women in innovation, we don't know about them. So there's also exactly. a, a gap in the perception of innovative women. And mm-hmm. so I definitely agree with you there. And um, so, so we, we need to get the ball rolling on several levels, though, I would say. Um, yeah. What do you call themselves innovative? And I want to say your definition can help with that because it doesn't have to be that big, shiny thing that you come up with out of nowhere and here's an innovation. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and not like and my again, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's the thing that always counts. Um, we rise by listing others. So um, looking for women who seem innovative to, to you and me, listing them, shout outing them. I don't even know if that's a word, but maybe I just made it up. Um, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm all behind that word. <laughs> Yeah. So no, definitely. Um, we, we should pay more attention to that and help more women get visible in that field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, make, the, make the connection because right now I think there's a clear connection that is, uh, is made between innovation, technology, and, you know, all of that, automa- even automation, right? And the connection is made to kind of the male side. Um, and the understanding is that, you know, as you mentioned at one point, white males, <laughs> those are the people that actually made innovation. So that means, you know, they have the skills or, you know, they have the potential to do it. But we're overlooking so many other uh, really awesome ideas that have women behind. Yeah, we need to kind of rewire, I think, the concept with all potential innovators. So many. <laughs> the world is so big. I love that picture of reconnecting the concept mm-hmm. with other players. I love that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're... That- this is what we do in the end. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what you said right now triggered something in my head. And uh, this is something that I've been doing since, since I, I, I know myself. <laughs> and um, I have this thing that, you know, whenever someone tells me something, I don't necessarily disregard it. Um, but I... I think I, I, I try to kind of find the sense to it. So even, you know, even if I, I say hello to, to the janitor, right. Um, and he tells me something and I'm like, oh, interesting. You know, I could, I could immediately dismiss whatever he said, because, you know, he's not well educated maybe, or he's, he's just a janitor, but I'm like, you no, know, maybe he has a different kind of wisdom that I don't have. So what if, you know, I actually take a moment and think, 
and you know um see if there's any sense in what in what that man said and and i try to do this with everyone i meet even if initially i feel like oh what they said makes no sense or you know i i could easily easily disregard it however i take a moment and i say okay maybe there's something there <laughs> maybe there's something you know that um I'm filtering out immediately because of, you know, all the social environment, <laughs> all of the education that I got, you know, it, it, it can be anything. Maybe I have so many filters on and then I say, okay, what's up with that? <laughs> can I use that eventually? And funny enough, throughout my life, I was in, in certain contexts in, you know, in certain moments where simple things came to my mind and they were really, really useful. And there, it, it was something maybe that came from, from someone randomly at one point. And I, I was able to use that 20 years later. So I think, you know, it's important to actually listen to ourselves, you know, and kind of take down the filters that we <laughs> put out on for so many years and take things down, you know, just try to take everyone as they are and, you know, see if there's something useful, see if there's something meaningful in, in what they're, they're saying. Cause we're, we might overlook so many useful things, so many good ideas just because of these filters. Yeah. And the more of these filters we have up, the worse our decisions get. Yes. Um, like diversity is uh, a, a key contributor to good decision-making. Um, but still we tend to, and, and you said that, like we have that box where innovation happens. Um, and if you, if you look into innovation that we're talking right now, which is mostly in the tech field, um, who makes the tech we're using all day? It's mainly white educated boys uh, keep up these filters that they grew up with and who yeah. built technology um, and sometimes crucial technologies to how our life is organized right now um, without including everybody who needs to be included in the process and not just without having everyone in the boardroom, which would be kind of the, uh, the, the grand thing to do but not even talking to those people as you said like you wouldn't do a mob and don't ask the janitor if they can can use it mm -hmm. but that's, that's what happens a lot and also because who sells tech and who buys tech especially the people who buy tech are necessarily the ones who use it but mm -hmm. it's you know it's an it department who buys tech for the employees of a company without figuring out, can they really use it? Do they have a use case for it in the first place? And is it yeah. they really, um, are they trained enough? Are they equipped enough to really use it and have all these advantages that we talk about that tech gives us? Um, so if we keep reproducing that, white boy definition of innovation mm -hmm. 
and we exclude more and more people, what does that do to innovation then? Or the, the term innovation? Um, and I think part of it we see already, what you said earlier with the buzzwordification of it, and, and also the, the hype that's coming around that, the buzzword um, living of the word. But it also makes me question how much innovation we should have and why we even need innovation if that is the innovation we're getting right now. Yeah, I mean, we're chasing a buzzword right now, most of us. Um, I think we, we shouldn't necessarily use innovation in the sense that, you know, we need to have innovation or we need to do innovation, but rather, you know, how can we make the world a better place? How can we build something on, so that, you know, future generations can benefit of um, and I think we're just starting to build on that. Uh, so um, I feel like there's going to be a shift into that direction again, not overnight, <laughs> um, but there, there is going to be a shift towards that. And um, I think, you know, innovation is going to, to be an, ena an enabler uh, as it should. <laughs> for how we can make things better for the future, you know, and not necessarily let's just do innovation. Let's just do the next big tech thing um, because that's kind of how it feels right now. You know, even if there's a startup, for example, uh, that has like a really brilliant idea, um, the focus on, on that startup is to market it as something innovative, uh, but most often uh, is um, the value that they bring for future generations, it's ignored. There are so many startups that bring that value, but that's not necessarily put in front but rather, you know, the technologies put in front, you know, look that this is going to be the new trend. And then everybody kind of aligns to that. Um, and yeah, I think, I think it's like, I don't know how to, how to say this right. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, um, that new accessory. That you need, you must have, you know, um, and, and I fear <laughs> that moment if, you know, innovation, you know, kind of becomes that because it shouldn't be that, uh, that accessory that you just put on and, you know, for people to see it, uh, for people to think that you are cool, you are on trend, you are top of the market. Um, I, you know, yeah, I think. To be, to be cool, we should think more about the future and how to, to build something long-term. Um, but yeah, uh, different, different kind of words there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if you, when you think about innovation as innovation and not as a trend, and then the, People ask you, 
how can we get there? How can we become an enabler? How can we be the person to contribute to the future? What would you suggest to them? Well, first of all, um, I tell people that they need to clarify their own strategy uh, because usually, you know, they're not sure where they need to embed innovation. Uh, they, they come, you know, with um, things like, okay, we need to do this in an innovative way. Well, do you really? <laughs> Have you have you tried all the different ways and failed? And you you thought like ah oh, we need a new way to do this um, because most often than not people you know they they feel like oh this is not working for us or we're not doing this right uh, because we're not innovative enough or because we don't use the latest technologies or stuff like that. But have you tried <laughs> maximizing the technology that you already have? Have you tried just maybe, you know, looking at the way you are doing things to make sure that it's aligned with what you need, it's aligned with what you want, um, it's aligned with your, your strategy, you know, assuming that you have a clear strategy <laughs> that you are pursuing? Because um, I see this very often, um, usually there's not a clear strategy with goals. Um, there is a strategy maybe there, there are some targets, but uh, some of the times those are something like given by someone and, you know, we just need to achieve them without questions being asked. And I think, you know, we need to get really uncomfortable and ask the question. But why do we want to get there? Um, you know, why do we have these targets? Because uh, sometimes, and and I see this uh, more often than before. Um, you know, we have targets on maybe things that don't make sense measuring for what we're looking to do. Mm -hmm. It's like you know. Um, you're going to, let's say you're going to the beach because it's uh, summer <laughs> time right now. <laughs> and instead of uh, looking at, you know, how hot is outside, what's the water temperature and so on, you're measuring uh, how many, how many wheels should my car have or something like that. So something totally random that's not necessarily connected with what you're trying to do. And I think that's also important in innovation. Maybe innovation is a target that you don't need to have. Maybe innovation is the result that you need to produce and you need to have different targets to get there. True. Which raises the question, can you even have innovation as the goal, especially as a measurable goal? I don't think so right now. I, I don't see it like that. At least, you know, from, from my view, I think sometimes innovation could happen even without having a clear idea of, you know, we're doing innovation. It's an end result that you get to. So that and, happens all the way. In exactly. A way. And, and let me give you a simple example, just to kind of visualize this, right? 
So um, I, I, I have this that I call something innovative that I did in my personal life like many years ago. I tried, I was really working hard on improving my packing for trips. So I, I used to have like two suitcases and a lot of luggage and a lot of things that I wasn't using during my trips. So I said, okay, I really need to change this because, you know, it, it's getting hard for me. So I want to make my life easy. That was my goal. <laughs> so I started to experimentalize with different ways of packing. And I, I did tests on myself, right? I packed for, I packed clothes for 10 days for a seven day trip. Um, I noticed my behavior and I improved that. So now I have a very clear system based on that. I have like clear steps that I make whenever I, I prepare my bag for a trip. Um, and I have like, you know, five things that I do. I, I lay on the bed, everything that I want to take. And then I take off anything that is extra. And uh, then I start packing my clothes. Like um, for certain pieces of clothing, I roll them. Uh, for others, uh, I just fold them. So I have a very clear system. And then everything needs to fit in my one backpack. <laughs> and, then, and then I'm ready to go. So this was something that I innovated personally for myself. But my goal was never to do something innovative. It was to make my life easy whenever I took a trip because I was fed up with, you know, carrying a lot of stuff and not using them. So I, I really don't believe that innovation is the goal. I think it's, it's the end result that you get. So if you set up a target on innovation, I, I'm not sure that <laughs> that's the best thing that you can do, especially if you want to create innovation. You cannot force people <laughs> to be innovative or to to be creative, like with a um, with a switch of a button, right? And it is that thing. As soon as you put a target on it, and as soon as you put a number on it, you are making a comparison to somebody else. You're not getting that exactly. randomly. You're always comparing yourself to somebody else. Um, a competition, but mm -hmm. what the market says is, is the current value that you should reach or whatever. And taking your example with the beach, and I actually like that, it's kind of figuring out if you should go out to the beach because of the number of people who are there. Mm -hmm. uh, but maybe they're there for a completely different reason. Maybe they're there because, I don't know, there's a whale floating by and everybody's coming to watch them. Uh, let's go by looking out the window and counting the people who are at the beach. You will never find out if it's warm enough or not for yourself. So you have to listen to yourself and say like, okay, what are the, if you want to work with measurements, what are the measurements that actually value to me? Now mm -hmm. that really make my life better because I can go to the beach today and I can enjoy it. Um, and then do that and innovation will follow. But it's not the thing, as you said, you're not going to the beach because so many people are there now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you need to do exploration on your own, right? And you, you cannot just rely on, 
on the measurements that other imposed because their context might, might be very different. <laughs> their values might be very different. And, you know, I think organizations should have a, a really, really a different cultural approach if they want to create an environment suitable for innovation. But, you know, right now, for example, if you hire people, right, because, you know, this is like um, the, the core of, of the business. If you hire people with certain skills for a job and you expect them to do exactly what that job requires, then, you know, how do you, how do you add the, the innovation piece in the role, right? I mean, if your job description is like A, B, C, D, and you need to deliver X, Y, Z, you know, where's the innovation piece here? Can, can you actually um, uh, trigger someone to do innovation like that? I would rather, I mean, thinking about this, I would rather use someone like, um, you know, if you have a job requirement with certain skills, I will, I would actually get someone that is a bit different because they might do the job different, right? If you hire someone to do the job in a certain way, you cannot expect them to be innovative because you want them to do the job in that specific way. So I think, you know, there, there needs to be like, um, a risk component, <laughs> like a wild card. Even in, within the, the roles, even within the jobs that we do, you know, like, okay, you are expected to do A, B, C, but feel free to play, <laughs> feel free to go wild. You have, you know, um, the freedom to test out th things. You have the budget to test out things. Um, and, you know, if someone has a different set of skills, I would rather, you know, bet that they're able to do a certain job different than someone who's like 100% a match. Maybe 100% a match is not always good. <laughs> yeah, I think you mentioned something really important there as well, which is the, the playing and testing part. Um, it's, I, I, I think that quote is always attributed to Einstein who said, if you're always, uh, old madness is um, when you're always trying to do something the same way and it's not the So, of course, you need some form of freedom to, to play with the thing. And, and I think actually play is a very important part there. Uh, get out of your head and just get into the sandbox if you want to. Mm -hmm. Just like, make it too strict. Um, play a little with it. Get a bit out of the box. Test some things. Um, and see what happens. And from there, go on and say a bit of a scientific approach. Mm -hmm. This is my hypothesis. I test it and I take the results as they are. They might not always be good, but that's what I learned from them. Okay. This exactly. thing um, mm -hmm. the result, the, the learning from the result is actually more for results than what comes out in me. Um, so what works, what doesn't work? And you said that right in the beginning, because innovation is so highly individual, um, also the testing will be individual and your way towards innovation will be individual. Um, 
there's no well actually that would be a good question how do companies set up their own playbook for innovation i think they all want to to do that but um not all of them can afford to do that right because um it's actually the opposite of what companies are looking for right now. They're looking for, you know, to maximize productivity of their employees. That means that they don't necessarily want their employees to have um, time to sit around and do nothing. Whilst that time is actually important in innovation because it gives you the opportunity to think about new ideas. It gives you the space to test new things. So... I think it's actually, um, you know, the companies want innovation, but without the cost of it, <laughs> without, you know, accounting for uh, the resources that you would need to actually reach uh, innovative solutions. Because in the end right now, um, and because of the current crisis and so on, everybody's looking um, to cut costs and to maximize efficiency. So I find it actually really challenging to do innovation within these restrictions because you need the time of the, the people. You need also uh, some budget because uh, it's not like every idea you're going to test, every concept is going to be successful. No, it's actually, as you mentioned, you know, you're learning something from this, uh, testing hypothesis or concept. Uh, you take that lesson learned or whatever insights that you have and you put into your next uh, prototype maybe. So it's a journey. And you need to have the resources for that journey. And I think companies right now need to be in that state of mind where they understand the value of doing this. And um, they actually want to, to evolve the business in that sense. Because for, for some businesses, right, they're already super, super productive. They're like really profitable. Um, you know, employees are really uh, productive in the sense that, you know, <laughs> you are using 100% of your resources. Um, the investors get their money. <laughs> Everybody's happy. So I think it really depends on the strategy in the end, right? Do you actually want to take the business to a different place maybe? Or are you comfortable with how things are going? You just want to make sure you're among the big players that call themselves innovative. <laughs> so, so first of all, if you start off a playbook, best decide on your personal definition of innovation. Uh, <laughs> tricky, tricky question. <laughs> I, I try to stay away from giving definition. Just because um, I think with innovation, it's it's very hard to do. You, you know, you might have a definition in our age right now, and then that definition might change uh, within the next fifty years, maybe. So I wouldn't. 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily give a definition, but uh, as we talked initially uh, in the conversation, um, I would say that you need some prerequisites to enable innovation. So I would maybe um, maybe guide people into you know having those prerequisites. If indeed innovation is uh, it's re something relevant, something they actually need. But again, innovation without a purpose, it's like my paper co covered in gold. <laughs> it's nice, it's shiny, but nobody's going to buy that. <laughs> right. Interesting. I think this is actually a pretty good last word. Um, this has been such a fascinating conversation. Um, I took so many notes. <laughs> what you said and how you said it and how you think about innovation in the first place is a refreshing viewpoint on it. I have to say that. And um, it, I want to say it takes away the pressure from innovation and makes it more fun again, more approachable again. So I really enjoyed it. And I'm so happy that we had that conversation. Yes, always. <laughs> so if um, people now want to hook you up and say like, hey, I want to have an equally interesting discussion about innovation, where can they reach you? Um, so my favorite channel is LinkedIn. I'm always uh, available on LinkedIn. So if you just look for me, uh, Antonia Lomer, I'll be there all the time. Um, I also, um, some, sometimes <laughs> nowadays a little bit less, uh, using the lunch club for one-on-one -on -one conversations. I really enjoy that platform. Um, but I have to say, I'm not that present there, uh, in the past month. So I'm trying to get back uh, online, let's say. Uh, but definitely LinkedIn is a way to reach out to me quite easily. I um, will definitely put that in the show notes so people can hook you up. And uh, yeah, hope they get as much out of it as I did. Um, plus, yeah, as I said, I had, I had an awesome time. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Oh, I'm really glad we talked. And uh, I'm really glad. It's really nice. I really enjoyed our talk and, uh, you know, every time, um, I have this kind of conversation, uh, even I have new ideas, even I, you know, think about things in a different way. So this is always, you know, very helpful for me because as I mentioned, you know, getting myself into uncomfortable situations always helps me always, always. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that this is how you feel about that. Yes. And, you know, I managed to, to, um, change this kind of uncomfortable scenario into something that I'm comfortable with. I have a feeling, um, after people hear what you had to say to me, that it might not be the last, uh, conversation that you had about that, but we'll be, this is not for me to judge. This is, um, for everybody else to follow up on. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, now I'm ready. <laughs> Thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, this has been really lovely. Thank you very, very much for being here. Um, thanks for being here for with me. And um, yeah, everybody reach out to Antonia. Yeah, me too. And thank you so much for the invitation, Saskia. As always, it was like absolute pleasure. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for being a part of this conversation with my future skills. The show is hosted and produced by me, Saskia Listler. Music for the show is by Music Unlimited. If you want to find out more or hear previous episodes, you can go to conversationswithmyfutureskills.com. You can also download this episode on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it as it helps other listeners finding it. Hear you next time.